for Isaiah of Who's On, I will take my mask off. Oh, really? <laughs> Shemi, you, Shemi, you're on. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark, what is five minus one? Oh, four. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome <laughs> to myself, Max McGillivray, Editor-in-Chief of Beanstalk Global. We're live today with our fantastic series, uh, AHDB Beanstalk Talking Leaders, <laughs> with, the, with the brilliant Shemi Alcott and um, our, our lovely friend, Mark Campbell. Shemi, say hello. hello. Mark, say hello. Morning. I will take my goggles off. No. Oh, it's a bit bright in the mountains. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, media is amazing that I can do this right from uh, Zugspitz in Germany. Uh, I'm right at the top of the it glacier. Is, it, what, and, um, what's the, what, but I'm here what for is, you guys. Um, Shemi, is it, is it warm or cold uh, at the top of that glacier? Um, I mean, it looks like it's very chilly behind me, but I am lying because this is a photo taken midwinter and it's definitely very warm right now across the Alps. But we are hoping for some snow soon. Uh, one thing that we haven't talked about when we've been um, set, setting this up, everyone, we will get serious in a minute. Um, we, we, we have a joke in our business about um, there's lots of uh, farmers who love to ski, Shemi. And one thing that we always uh, rate ski resorts on is how expensive the chips are um, up, up, up on the mountains. And the best that we heard, I think it was about three, four years ago, and it was somewhere in, in Gestad that someone got charged 24 euros for, for a plate of chips. Can, can you better that, Shemi? In, in Courchevel, a burger and chips is 60 euros. Wow. I mean, the That's... thing is, it, it takes the enjoyment out of eating it for me. I mean, if the chips are like thrice cooked in truffle oil, you're like, <laughs> yeah. okay, you're yeah. giving us something, we're up the mountain. But you always feel like you're ironing stodgy food when you're up the mountain because it's cold. Yeah. But actually, you don't burn that many calories. So be careful about yeah. those chips. Oh, well done. Okay, can you imagine that, Mark? Um, chips sprinkled in gold. Uh, that'd be a thousand euro, please. <laughs> With some salt. Yeah. With some salt. Yeah. Down the arm. <laughs> Right, come on, let's let's say let's get get on, on with this because we've got we're live on Facebook, live on uh, LinkedIn, add on to YouTube, and to, onto our uh, podcast series. So so just give a bit bit of background uh, to this. Talking Leaders is a, an inspired series set up by by Mark and his uh, a great colleague uh, Isaac and uh, their colleagues from the um, AHDB. Um, and one one of these gentlemen they came up with this uh, this this phrase about come on Max, we want to create the conversation, not be part of the conversation. Um, and we're not trying to compete with a good group of the Chris Evans of the world. It's just that we think that with the audience that we've got with Beanstalk and with the AHDB, we can find some really interesting, eclectic, Shemi, um, um, individuals who we can all learn from. And if there's one thing I've learned about agriculture, it's an amazing sector. But some of us are, are just because of the, the nature of it, we, we get tied up on the day to day. We get, get a little, little bit myopic. And if we can give them half an hour of sort of solace, um, and people can learn from the individuals that Mark and Isaac and I, I are bringing in. Um, if it lightens their day and also gives them inspiration to, I don't know, change, it's going to be beneficial. So, so far we've had on, in no particular order, um, Holly Beckett. Um, and Shemi, this, this lady's amazing. She managed to get us um, all meditating. We had, a, what was it, Mark? It was a two minute silence where we, she, she taught us how to meditate properly. And the engagement that we got from, from Holly uh, was, uh, was outstanding. And then previous to that, we had Tim Bradshaw um, talking about how to deal with a crisis. And, and Shemi, he's amazing because um, talk about a crisis. So he's ex-military. So he's uber trained on that basis. But he was up Everest uh, during an earthquake. Um, and so he just walked us through um, how to deal with a crisis. And we've all, in our, in, our, in our work lives or our personal lives, we've all dealt with a, how, had a crisis. And he just gave us a lot of reflection on, on what to do and, and how, to, um, how, how to better ourselves in, the, in that situation. Um, so today, 
Who are we joined by? We are joined by four times Olympic skier, Shemi Alcock. She is an English former World Cup Alpine race ski racer and a fiercely determined and courageous sportswoman. As the only British female skier to ever win a run in a World Cup, she's widely regarded as one of Britain's greatest ever skiers. Having broken 49 bones, 49, Mark. Mark, how many bones have you ever broken in your life? One. One. (laughs) Shemi is no stranger. You're not charging enough. I'm not trying hard enough, no. <laughs> Chevy is no stranger to adversity and remains committed to inspiring the next generation and educating people from all over the world through sport. Join us today to find out what it took for Chevy to become successful and how you can apply some of her tips to, to stay at the top of your game. So, guys, I just wanted to I just want to take you on a journey. Okay, it's 1984. 1984, Max McGillivray is this high. He's at Lewis Priory Comprehensive in, um, in, in uh, Sussex. We go on the ski trip. We go the ski trip to Austria. We go the ski, ski trip to Kitzbühel. So I'm there. I'm, uh, I've got secondhand uh, uh, top on, which, which is red. I've got secondhand salopettes on, which are green. And why that? So that the uh, instructors could see which way up I was, um, <laughs> d- d- depending on whether I was uh, skiing or uh, in, a, in a drift. Um, and the, the instructor, he took us, Shemi, he took us to the top of the Hanukkah. Have I pronounced it correctly? Yes, you have. Well done. And and how do you describe that, Mark? Do you remember when you when you saw the top of that Beers Mountain? And I thought, there's no way I am ever going to be a professional skier. You need to have guts. You need to be so professional. You need to be something special to be able to do that. Shemi, come on. How did you get into skiing? What 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 was the thing that drove you into this mad mad world of chucking yourself down down a down a mountain to fight gravity? Well, See, why no, how? No. Most people say you've got to have a few screws loose to choose to be a downhill skier. Uh, And we're talking, you know, the the maximum speed I ever reached was 92 miles an hour, um, which is kind of crazy. I remember the first time I unfortunately got pulled over by the police in a car and they said, you've been speeding. I said, listen, I've got a car around me. When I ski race, I've got nothing but wind and fire and I can go 92 miles an hour. And this this policeman's looking at me like, I'm, listen, you, you're breaking the rules. This is not right. So that didn't work as a, as a get out clause. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a common question. I still live in London. I grew up in London, um, but I was born into a sports mad family. I've got older siblings. Um, and by the time I was born, my eldest brother had been talent ID by the French ski school. And they're like, this oh, guy's wow. good. Um, and, I, and I saw him, I idolized him and I wanted to get into it. And I always say, actually, genetically, I was made to be a skier. My dad um, was a former professional rugby player and my uh-huh. mum was a swimmer. So I got his glutes and her lungs and I was made to be this mountain goat. Um, and I do think having that background of, of sport in the family helped, um, especially when I started going through some tough times. My mum retired from swimming very early, one of her first injuries. And I know she regretted it her whole life. So having that kind of background environment to grow up in, even though I was growing up in London, I had this sport was at, at, at the heart of everything that we did. And um, I used to want to be a tennis player as well, actually. I was going to be a tennis player in the summer and a ski racer in the winter. Um, and unfortunately, I stopped playing tennis because I used to try and kill the ball. I'm a very aggressive person. I don't look it, but I'm literally like every time I hit a ball, I want to win the point. I don't like yep. playing. Um, and back when I was growing up, this was the Steffi Graf era, and it was all about flow and fluidity. And I was like, nah, I just want to, I just want to win. Um, um, and I actually retired from tennis because I got one of those injuries that you've just mentioned, cracked my humerus, um, and I had to choose between tennis or skiing. And six months after that, 
I went to the World Children's Olympics and I won gold and I had my first taste of you know elite sport and being successful and I chose skiing and and I look back every day and I'm very grateful for that because actually psychologically skiing is very challenging you are out there you've got to throw yourself down this mountain you have to find your limit between underperforming and crossing that boundary and probably being helicoptered away for a couple of years out of the sport because of injury whereas tennis tennis is you know it's a direct battle against that person and in it and you've got quite a lot of bitchiness with it you get like people trying to psych you out whereas I'm best friends with all the girls I used to race with because there's so much respect if I if I go down a mountain and someone comes down and beats you by two seconds they have gone more on the limit in this dangerous sport than me so you shake their plan you're you're skiing against the mountain you're 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 feeling like you're you know a small entity in this big spec I mean look at this view we race in this view and there's no one around we're really spoiled as ski racers obviously going 80 90 miles an hour there's quite a lot of safety so you have the your own mountain in front of you and and you're you feel kind of epic and awesome because of it so um i'm really glad i chose ski racing it's it's an incredible sport but to choose that and live in london it is quite a challenge and and, and Shemi, there's a really interesting link here just coincidentally i did a, a broadcast yesterday for a, a group we an international group that we host called global women fresh and that's to encourage more women into fresh food and agriculture on a global basis and uh, we were talking about women in, in venture capital, and uh, there were there were uh, three ladies on from two different continents. No one knew um, anyone, and you can see my style. It all, it, it all worked. But halfway through this uh, this broadcast, we found out that the common denominator with all these ladies who were in ag tech and, and venture capital was professional sports. Um, that mm-hmm. uh, one of them was a uh, two of them were um, ex professional uh, tennis players, and uh, one of them was a uh, a professional jockey. Um, and and uh, they they then took that skill, that discipline, that stamina, that that endurance um, into the, the the world of business. With with yourself, with you building up this this expertise in skiing, was it um, a given that you were going to become a pro, or did you look at other opportunities in in the world of of, of business or corporate or education? What what drove you to to be uh, to to go down the pro route, please? And I mean, I've always wanted to win an Olympic gold in ski racing. I found <laughs> early on that ski racing was the sport for me. Um, I gave myself an ultimatum at my A-levels. I did finish my A-levels in the UK, which not a lot of my yeah. peers did. They're all out there in the mountains from the age of 12. Um, and I said, if I got four A's in my A-levels, I could become a ski bum for the rest of my life and no one would judge me for it. Now, I actually got three A's and a B and I was distraught because I thought oh, that no. was over. And I had the B remarked. And as they say, it's history. And six months after that, I was at my first Olympics in Salt Lake City. Um, and I've never really looked back because I know that I have got always got that option to follow business, follow education. And actually, one, one of the best things that uh, sport taught me is, is how to pick myself up and have the confidence to keep yeah. going, because it's, it's not a funded sport in the UK. At, at one point in my life, I was it's on the UK sports spectrum. Yeah. Um, but I was ranked eighth in the world and I got injured and they pulled my funding straight away. And they only funded me for a sixth of, the pro- sixth of my program. So from the age of 10, my mum was a marketing genius and she, she would push me forward to tell people my dreams to try and get myself sponsors. I remember she took me out of school once um, in my school uniform and there was this conference going on, uh, business and sport in London, all suits in the room. And I walk in this you know, slightly chubby, but very determined 10 year old and my mom pats me on the back and says, right, go and tell everyone your dream and make people want to be part of it. Oh, and I was like, okay. okay. And, um, and I did. And I walked away. I had my first sponsor. 
that summer I went down to New Zealand at 10 years old for three months on my own. And I used to go down to New Zealand every single summer. And that's how much I wanted it. I used to beg for it. And wow. I know 10 year olds now who, you know, they, they can't go anywhere without holding their parents' hand, but that's how obsessed I was to, to be the best. Yeah. Um, that so, I just. Um, so um, Mark and I, we've we got a, a, a love of um, uh, motorsports and it's, uh, Mark, it sounds very uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton-esque. Um, doesn't it to, to have that that determination and and to have that that drive from from your parents and, and just exploring that bit again about um about um injuries you're, you're eighth in the world and then you get um uh, an, an injury then and then you get knocked back has your ride ride um your has your journey through skiing has, has it been has it been an easy one because of your your personality or have you had speed bumps along the way that you've really struggled with that you've you've, you've had to find innovative ways around them has it been easy Shemi? No, it's not been easy. And it's more in hindsight since I've retired that I realized how much talent I had. And actually, if I'm really honest, how I didn't fulfill my talent, because for a massive chunk of my career, when I was healthy and very fast, um, I had a fear of failure and I was really wow. blocked in races and I couldn't translate my really fast skiing from from training into a race um, because of all this huge expectation. I was like the one to watch growing up. Okay. Um, and it was really, really challenging. And then I started getting hurt. And on paper, people think my career is disastrous because, you know, I've broken all these bones. But actually, every time I crashed, I was skiing with the confidence to risk everything. Whereas previous to that, I, I, I was underperforming and I was choosing to underperform. You know, and, that, and that's what we're in this dangerous aspect right now, post pandemic. Everyone wants to be comfortable. Everyone wants to live within themselves. And actually, it's really dangerous because none of us are fulfilling our, our, our personal growth mindset. None of us are going out there and making mistakes. We're scared of everything. We're yeah. scared of failure. We're just like, you know what? This is enough. And for eight years, I did enough to be the best in Britain and in the world. You know, I was ranked around 20th and it was good, but it wasn't my best. And actually, when I started crashing, I've got this great relationship with injuries and all the scars I have and my neck fused together from a neck break. I'm really, I look back at those times and I'm like, you know what? I gave it my all. I pushed myself yeah. to my limit and further. And that's way more satisfying than going, I skied at 80%. I kept something back. And that's what we're all doing. Everyone's like, you know what? I don't want to make mistakes. We have this, yeah. you know, failure, this word failure. Oh, I don't want to fail. Well, you need to fail. You need to have the confidence to take risks and make mistakes and go, you know what? What led up to that? You know, you have to look back and, and think about the pathway that led to that mistake and learn from it. You don't make mistakes and then just move on and go, okay, whatever I've lost a bunch of money or my crops this winter didn't do what I wanted them to do or my team aren't happy so we're underperforming you go okay well what could I have done differently and you learn from that otherwise yep. you're just in this vicious circle of underperforming and sub maximum and it's just it's just dangerous and I think if I as a downhill ski racer can go out there and push my limit and my limit is breaking the bones in my legs so much that they break outside my ski boot through the through the plastic and I'm in a helicopter and I can't ski for 16 months then you guys you guys can go out there and push yourself too because there might not have to be a helicopter at the other end it might just be a team meeting where you evaluate what you've done wrong and move forward from it uh, mark it's fascinating is that i can't remember which one of our previous speakers said uh, life begins at the end of your comfort zone um yep. blimey look, look, look at look at look at shimmy yeah, yeah, yeah. to, to actually um not not enjoy the injuries but to learn from that right i've gone as far as i can okay i know know how i can so, so what do you think, Mark, in business, if we do that, if there's, there's no reason, it, it's not, nothing to be ashamed of to fail. At least you've tried and you've learned from that. You've, you've pushed your, your, your envelope of, of um, uh, stress, of um, 
um, ambition. And if it hasn't worked, you, you've learned from that and you can try again. Mark? Yeah, no, no, that was Tim. And I think, yeah, that, that, that having that courage to go, I'm going to give something a go. I'm going to try something a little bit different. I'm going to push myself out of my comfort zone um, to try and yet continually better yourself and can, is, is something that people aren't that great about. So, and, 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 sorry, Mark, and Shemi, um, the Olympics, just walk us through the, the, the Olympics. Um, unfortunately, Mark and I aren't going to make the Olympics, not even in ping pong. So just to talk, talk, talk us how that works. I mean, the Olympics is a crazy special event. And as a nation, we are obsessed with the Olympics. It's it's quite a hard thing as an athlete to focus on because it's once every four years. So you do almost 10,000 hours of work for a two minute showdown. It's literally oh. like like you're almost an entertainer. You do all this prep work, prep work, prep work. And then you have this tiny window to show the world what you're capable of. And it's quite hard because in alpine skiing, if, if you aim to peak just for the Olympic year, then you're going to be in trouble because we have... Um, snow conditions to contend with so if you don't perform every year beforehand your world ranking goes up if your world ranking goes up you have ruts and if you have ruts next to the gate you're going to be slower than the the world elite because the way it goes is that the best skiers in the world ski first and then the conditions deteriorate so if you don't perform consistently every weekend for the four years beforehand then you won't be in chance with an olympic medal so yeah. it's quite a hard thing to to get into your head. I mean, for me, I love the Olympics. Um, I definitely have my blinkers on the Olympics. You try to treat it like any other event, but it is anything but any other event. Everyone always says that all the psycholo psychologists and control the controllables and don't let yourself be distracted by the craziness around it. Um, but it is tough. It, it is, it, it, you know, you know, you get in that start gate and you know that you've got this one chance and sometimes you take that chance. And I remember my first Olympics at 19, I came 14th and I was like, that's that was a decent performance. Um, and then I came 11th a bunch of times, which was really frustrating because I never got the top 10. Um, but I was really close. I mean, in Turin Olympics, I was in third until uh, the last split. So for one minute and 30 at that Olympic track, I was in third wow. position. But I was ranked 150 at the world at the time. And the only reason I'd overperformed was because the conditions were bad and everyone else let fear in. And I was a bit of a nutter mm. then. And I was like, you know what? Oh my God. And at the end, it was quite funny. When I retired, everyone said, Oh, Shemi, you always skied well when the weather was bad and when it was like precipitation Excellent. and foggy. And I was like, Why? Why do you always say that? And like, well, you live in London. You know, you're used to crappy weather. No. <laughs> so, 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 Shemi, we need, to, we need to learn from you. We, 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 all of us have that Stargate scenario of the Olympics in our life. It could be um, a, a speech at a, at a wedding, um, it could be pitching for, for new business it could be um, you found the person that you want want to hire but it's but it's a bit touch and co as to whether they're going to come 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 so everyone has that starting gate at the olympics moment in their, in their own own life what what how would you recommend that people prepare for that so that they can stay focused so they don't get distracted so that they they can see the finish and they can conquer they can win that particular race with all these distractions around them what would your advice be how, how can we all win first of all don't focus on the finish you know, you, Max, they're saying how, you know, get to the finish. Don't focus on that. Stay in the present. A lot of people think about the outcome instead of the input that they need to be their very best. So do loads of preparation. And then when you are in that start gate, you have to anticipate that there will be a fear bubble there um, and you will be scared. That is totally normal. If you're not scared, then you're not pushing yourself. Every time I got in the start gate, I felt fear. It's important. Wow. You've got to have respect for what you're about to do. If you're standing there all flippant and thinking you're prepared, then then you're probably actually not prepared enough. 
you know, if there's something giving you that edge, nerves give you that edge. Yeah. Um, to my younger clients, I always say, you know, those butterflies in your stomach, as soon as you get the green light, they turn into a dragon. And that is who you need to be. I know it's a really like childish philosophy and imagery, but, but that's what happens. And, and I just think embrace fear, find fear, use the adrenaline. You know, you will feel excited. That's great. Try and take a few deep breaths, get in that fear bubble, and then you choose to step out that fear bubble and boom, deliver. Wow, M Mark, don't you love that? That the uh, the, the, the the that those initial nerves, green light comes on, that turns into into a dragon. Great quote. It's huge, and I'm a, I'm a great believer that stress, fear, whatever you want to call it, it does keep you sharp, and it does mm. it does focus that mind to to to, to be able to deliver hopefully what you're aiming to deliver but building on that with the focus with the sustained performance with that complete dedication to to wanting to win that olympic gold or wanting to hurtle down that mountain and and, and beat the mountain and beat the net how do you maintain that olympic pro sportswoman machine how do you keep that sustained mm. performance for that long I mean, I, I had a pretty huge career despite all my injuries and um, I did four Olympic cycles. So four Olympic cycles equates to 16, 16 years. years. Yeah. So the, the thing was, I never saw it as a 16 year focus. Um, I, I evolved massively as an athlete in that time. I started off as a tech skier, so slalom and giant slalom. Um, and then I got crazier and crazier as my career went on. So I started to ski speed towards the end. But you, you've constantly changing. I mean, even nutritionally, every four years, I would look at that Olympic track that gets released and think, how is the terrain there? I mean, this is the minute precision that goes into wow. planning. And I'd see, so let's talk about Vancouver, 2010. The track there, it was all full of undulating terrain. It was really technical. So I was like, my natural body weight is about 75 kilos. And I was like, right, I'm gonna get to 68 kilos for this Olympics because I need to be more agile. So everything you train, you, you retrain your body. It's quite exciting because that's not my natural body type, but I'm going to try and make it this because it might give me that edge to performance. Then Sochi Olympic track comes out in 2014 for that Olympics and it is steep to flat, steep to flat. So then I want gravity, I want weight. I tried to join the over 80 kilos for that Olympics. So I changed all my training. I mean, I didn't actually get there um, because that was too far for my body type to go, but you're always evolving. You're always finding different aspects, different strengths. And that's the thing you can't, you know, we always do these like character types um, when we're looking at our team. Well, you need to do those all the time because we are evolve as people. We, we find new passions all the time. We find new skills. So actually, if, if this is something that you did a year ago, you need to redo it because you need to keep making sure every part of your team is inspired to perform um, better and, and keep excelling. And actually, if they're not, if, you, if you're still working on the same skills with them or they're still doing the same thing in your business they did a year ago, they might be getting bored. And boredom is the worst thing you can do. Boredom is the opposite of fear. You need fear, you need excitement to be your very best. You know, if you're bored, you, you don't want to be there, you will underperform. Yeah, just, um, just going back to this broadcast I did uh, yesterday, one of, one of the ladies uh, worked for Tesla for, uh, for a 10 year period um, and just stated how inspiring a company it was uh, because of the excitement and the fear that you sometimes have because they just kept on loading big, um, big juicy, challenging projects onto all the, all the team and everyone wanted to, do good by Elon Musk 
Um, and that fear was actually very positive within within that business. Mm. And it's one one of the reasons why it's such a successful business, because it attracts all these great, great people. And they're all so driven that they don't really have to be to be managed. So this is positive fear within within the business, not not of a, in the respect of um, uh, Michelle. We here's a big, chunky project. We think you're just about there. But come on. Um, here, here you go. Sink or swim. But we know you're going to swim off. Off you go. I mean, it's, again, in business, sometimes we don't see that. What, what do you think, Mark? That uh, the, the people dialing in should they be challenging some of the, the team and perhaps themselves for, for a little bit of fear step out of the the, the, the comfort zone um so that they can challenge themselves the businesses um so whether that be in their business life or, or even, even their social life just just have 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 more fear and do not get uh, succumbed by boredom what do you think mark most definitely encouraging that creativity encouraging to just have a go at something different and try it and if it fails and goes all belly up and wrong learn from it and and yeah that's something that our industry really needs to needs to embrace um and it comes back to the point that shemi makes around we we want to be comfortable we want to we, we want to we want to sit in that 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 comfort zone we need to push ourselves out of it you know challenge at all um, shemi can i just uh, uh, try, try to show off that i got in a, in a in a rut so i wanted to do something different so um i rode a motorbike from london to, to cape town um uh, and it took it was eighteen thousand kilometers 18 uh, different countries we visited 50 50 farms we had a quarter of a million kids uh, following us in real time um when when i set off i was absolutely i was so frightened um <laughs> but when we got into morocco and we just it, it and it just turned into into a dream and i, I wish i'd had i'd done it um years years previously so i go back to that, that expression of um either mark or isaac's about um life begins outside of your your comfort zone so if the likes of me could do something like that um crikey a- anyone can and and Shelby, just going back to back to yourself, inspiration, mentors. We've had a lot of people on our on our broadcast saying that what you need is that as a mentor, uh, because the the uh, worldly wise they've they've seen all the speed bumps um, before. They're very well connected. Um, you should uh, align yourself to a mentor and, and perhaps have a different mentor um, every, every four or five years, as you intimated as as we grow um, and in uh, through, through our life cycle to different stages. What would what did you do for inspiration? What did you do for mentorship, or did you not? Did you were, were you just self driven? I think when I was younger, I was self-driven. Um, I was really inspired by my mum. She passed away after the Turin Olympics. Um, and a lot of people thought I skied for my mum and they expected that after she died that I would retire. And actually, mm. it took me about four days to realise that she was just there supporting my dreams. And I'd hidden behind her quite a lot because it was very unpopular as a young girl to be as driven as I was. So I would hide behind my mum saying, oh, she's making me do this. She's sending me to New Zealand. She's doing this. And actually it wasn't. She just let herself be a kind of that negative uh, dis, you know, perception from the exterior because she didn't want it to be on me. Because yep. unfortunately, young girls, and, and I mentor quite a lot of young girls, and, and they don't want to be um, outspoken with their ambitions because it's not an attractive quality. Young boys who I mentor, they will tell me straight away, I'm going to win, I'm going to do this. Um, whereas girls think it seems arrogant if they say that. So I was kind of in that boat. So my mum definitely was really inspirational to me uh, when I was growing up. I also loved Alberta Tomba, uh, who some people might remember, a huge yeah. character in alpine skiing. He was like a god because he'd fall over, he'd get back up. He was just such a personality. Unfortunately, when I was 18, he uh, he gave me his phone number and event and um and it kind of burst the bubble of my inspiration oh, and my no. adoration for him. <laughs> but he does 
I mean, I'm not taking it personally because he does that with everyone. He loves okay. the women. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think like the, the biggest inspiration I use was almost being an underdog. You know, being from Britain yeah. and being a ski racer, no one expected anything from me. You know, it was like, yeah. oh, you know, Eddie the Eagle, incredible as he was, he was famous for not being very good. And it really it irritated me when I was growing up and people said, oh, are you trying to be like Eddie the Eagle? I was like, no, because oh, I gosh. want to win. Um, and so I used that. I mean, I remember the, the World Cup we talked about at the, begin the very beginning where I won the second run. It was in front of 30,000 Austrian fans and they were like, oh my gosh, this British girl has beaten our Austrian girls who ski on this hill everything. And they were like, where's she come from? What, you know, and it was almost like, they didn't understand that I'd been living this dream for a long, long time. They didn't know all the sacrifices and, and the experiences I've had, but actually it was quite nice. It was like, you know, no one expects anything. So when you do well, it's really highlighted. So I used myself as being an underdog, which other people perceive yeah. as, as a real like confidence booster, because I felt like no one expects anything. I could go out there and be free and perform. Yeah. And, and do you think there's a, a correlation there with, within, uh, within business that if, if a, um, some some of the people dialed in if, if they've got a, a business that's slightly under underperforming so they should actually relish that because they've got the ability to to do something significant with it rather than and be morose and think oh the, the world's yeah. going to end actually turn that as, as you have done to to as I said turn that negative into a positive yeah. I am the underdog come on let's let's perform but no, yeah. no, no, one, I mean, no one's expecting anything Let, let's let's bag this out of the park I mean I always say sport and business it's all a roller coaster right so yeah. if you're well right done. now down here the only way is up and as the ski racing you know everyone always says this to me when you're at the top and you've got a target on your back you've yeah. got to be really careful it's very difficult to maintain that level and expectation and pressure and, and somehow you sometimes you end up going downhill but then when you get down there you've just got to con consistently evolve your current situation and we yeah. don't you know sometimes we think we're the best we get complacent and then people start catching us yeah. Or we work really hard because we're on the way up. And, you know, just see see everything as a positive, see everything as a, uh, I hate the word journey, but it, it does come into play quite a lot. Yeah. So, so we're slightly running out of time. What would be great, because it's a really nice segue, the, the way that we've uh, sort of winged this conversation, but it's come <laughs> to a, a really positive, positive end. Are, are there any messages that you'd like to share with our, with our audience um, to, to stay on top of our own personal mountains? Um, but have you got two or three messages that you could give to us, Shemi, on that basis? Yeah. Well, well first of all, um, recently I watched Jeremy Clarkson in The Farm and <laughs> I had an immense respect for the farming industry, what you are doing, how imperative you are to, to everyone. You know, you are the backbone of, of, of what we all need when we consume. And I just want to say thank you for all the hard grafting you do. Um, I, like you, work in an environment that is outdoors that is unpredictable, um, that is ever-changing. And I just think there is some synergy that sport and farming can offer each other. So here are a few things I'd like to say. Don't be afraid to take risks. Find that growth mindset, a way to evolve every single day, whether, the, whether you're winning or you're making mistakes, you've got to learn from it. The other thing is love what you do. What we do and what we've chosen to do is tough. If you love what you do and you're passionate about it, you can ride that roller coaster when you're on the down. The grass isn't greener. Um, I think that's a really, really important one. I always thought that when I was injured or oh, maybe I should be doing something else, but actually remember where your passions lie. Um, and then lastly, be mindful of what you need. Um, if you're not fulfilling your own personal needs, then professionally you can't excel. 
Like look inside yourself, what do you need to be happy? And we all kind of trying to change that with our working hours post pandemic, you know, what, what do I need to be the best at what I do in the office? And um, so those are my three. I do have one more takeaway quote that I have stolen from someone else, um, but that I live by. And that's, I never lose, either I win or I learn. And that is just imperative. Never think about losing. You're either winning or you're learning. Mark, you got to wrap up for us? Well, that's absolutely fantastic, Shemi. And I think that key bit about you need to understand what you want. It's all right saying you want to have the biggest dairy herd in the world or you want to make a million quid by the time you're 21. But you've got to really believe and that's got to be really what your internal drivers are. And I think the point that I really liked um, is that adapting to what's in front of you. We've got to continually be reading what the lie, the lie of the land or, or the markets or, or what the industry is doing to continually making little tweaks and changes um, so that you can you can consistently evolve. But no, fantastic. What's what's some great messages? There, there is. I'm, I'm going to go back through this this recorder and write them all down as, as I have done previously with the with Holly and uh, Tim when we've had 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 them on. Shemi, you, you've been absolutely brilliant. Before um, you go and uh, we. We wrap up this AHTB uh, Beanstalk Talking Leaders series. Um, please, everyone, join us for the uh, for, for the next one. If you look at our AHTB website or the Beanstalk website, you'll see that the next three or four great speakers like Shemi that's, uh, that we're, we're, we're going to have on. Shemi, we just have to ask you one question before uh, we wrap up. We're, we're going to make you the um, the the Olympic um, uh, choice, uh, the, the, the Olympic selector as to who's going to be the men, the UK men's downhill skier. And you've got a choice of two individuals, Mark or me. So who's it going to be? Who are you going to choose? You can only choose one. Is it going to be Mark or is it easy. going to be me? This is easy. I'm sorry, Max, but look at Mark's aerodynamics. He came into shot there. He got his, his hand in front of his chin. He was in his tuck position. Are you fast. I did hit my, my half marathon PB last weekend. I, I smashed a, the Brighton half in under Boom. an hour and 45. This, this has been rigged. We're right, we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Chevy, you've been brilliant. Mark, you've been brilliant. Thank you, every, everyone. Um, oh, Chevy, quickly, um, your socials. We want to follow you. How do we find out oh, yes. about you, please? Chevy Ski on everything. C-H-E-M-M-Y-S-K-I. Excellent. Chevy, thank you. Mark, thank you. We'll see you at the next one. Keep well. Cheers.